Welcome to Recess Duty, a podcast for educators to come together to share struggles, but also celebrate successes by sharing stories and ideas in a safe and supportive environment to collaborate with one another. Here's your host, Levi Allison. Hey everyone, this is Recess Duty with your host, Levi Allison. And today we're talking with Jason Reagan, who comes with various experience in design and IB. We'll discuss everything there is to know about the design cycle and how to implement it effectively. Thanks for joining us, Jason. How are you doing? Levi, thank you so much for having me. I'm doing great. It's great to see you this morning. It is a wonderful morning. It looks a little bit rainy out there, but we're excited to be here. So Jason, how, for our viewers and listeners out there, tell us a little bit about yourself. Thanks, Levi. Yeah, my name is Jason Reagan. I have just started my 24th year in education. Mm -hmm. Um, I did not enjoy school. And so I told myself I would never go back to school. And then I've made school uh, my career. So it did (laughs) not turn out the way I thought it was going to be. So I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia, and um, I actually went to school originally to become to work in, in television and radio. I graduated and went and worked in a TV station for about three or four months. And I realized making minimum wage uh, after getting a four-year degree was not my goal. And while I enjoyed it, I knew that it wasn't something I wanted to do. And so at the time in the state of Georgia, they had just um, brought in the lottery. And as a result, you could get money for your education from the lottery, right? And so I was going to study for my my master's degree in education because my brother was actually doing the same thing as a bachelor's degree. And because it was a shortage field, I could get my entire education for free uh, through the state of wow. Georgia. And so that's, that's what I did. I went back and uh, the only caveat was I had to teach in the state for a certain number of years to kind of mm-hmm. pay that loan off basically is what it was. So I did that and I enjoyed it. My first year teaching was in an inner city school in Atlanta. I enjoyed the work. I did not enjoy the environment. Uh, It was it was really hard. It was not something any education could prepare you for. And so I knew that I did not want to leave education, but I also knew I did not want to stay in that particular environment. And it just was not good for me. Uh, It was just emotionally taxing to see children in poverty, to see kids close to homeless. I wanted to give back. But I didn't feel that in school, that was the way I could give back the best I could give back. Um, Some people do a really good job of that. I'm not one of those people. I feel like giving back through other kind of activism and things is probably a better way for me to serve the community. And so it was just, it was too, I I took it too personally. It was too emotional for me. I couldn't handle it. I knew I would have had a, a breakdown. And so I was driving home one day after I decided that I didn't want to teach in that school anymore. And I heard on national public radio, an ad for English teachers in China. And so I called the, because at the time, this was so long ago, I had to call them. Uh, And so I called them on the phone and uh, they're not used to getting people who are qualified teachers. They're used to getting people who maybe finished college uh, or maybe finished high school to come and just live somewhere for a year because really all they wanted was native speakers. So I went and worked in a university actually in Beijing and I enjoyed it tremendously. I had financial obligations to pay back my loan from the state of Georgia. So after a year, I went back home and worked there for a couple of years, knowing that at that point I was going to live overseas uh, probably for most of my life. 
um, after my time in China. So after two years back in the state of Georgia, I went back to China and I met my wife, who's also a teacher. And we we lived in China for five years um, after we got married, moved back home to start a family. And then we lived in Bermuda for a year. Uh, we lived in Savannah, Georgia for a couple of years. And then when 2013, we returned overseas again. And we brought our two two boys with us uh, because they are half Chinese, half not Chinese. <laughs> and so um, we, we brought them back to China because they would re- they would respond in English to their mom who was speaking Chinese to them. And we thought they need some immersion experiences and we weren't getting it where we were living. Mm-hmm. So we moved back to China. We're there for four years. And then we came to South Korea five years ago um, where we met you. So that's that's been my journey. <laughs> yeah. And what an amazing journey that is yep. to because I think it really does highlight what a lot of expats are of mm-hmm. looking for another way of teaching outside mm-hmm. of your country. I just think that's amazing the various aspects that you've had throughout your career of 24 years. Like that just yeah. blows my mind. <laughs> so Jason, we know you as yep. the design guy. We know yeah. you as design cast, amazing mm-hmm. podcast. We all love it. How did that happen? How did you go from me teaching English in China to being the design yeah. guy for Ivy? Great question. Thank you, Levi. And thank you. I'm very humbled. Um, design cast is a labor of love for me. Uh, so mm-hmm. anyone who extra who enjoys it, that's great. But it, I do it for me. So thank you so much for, for enjoying it. So I, I failed to mention that the subject I studied in my master's for teaching was technology education. And so it was what replaced industrial arts or shop class in in schools. And so when you go overseas, you have two options. You can do, well, three options. You can do an American school, a British style school, or uh, an IB school, or some combination of those. There are, of course, other kinds of schools, but those would I say would, would be the three predominant ones. And so in British schools, they do something called design and technology, which is um, D&T for short. And it's very based around things like the hard skills of cutting and attaching and sanding and finishing materials, but also things like cooking and um, other traditional subjects like that. And then in IB schools for many years, it was called technology. And then in 2014, made the shift to what's called design, uh, which is where it's been, where it is now. And then in American schools, they still have, you know, maker spaces and they have engineering and technology, but they're all similar. And so that's how I got my start was I got into an international school and was able to use my experience as a post-industrial arts teacher to use those same skills. And I just had to learn how to mark using a different rubric. But ironically, we were already using rubrics before rubrics were a thing because that's what how we used to measure performance in shop class was that kids had to meet certain criteria. And it wasn't a test. It wasn't a quiz. And so for me, it was a really easy shift to an IB framework mindset versus a lot of people who struggle moving from something mm-hmm. more, much more prescriptive Absolutely. to, yeah, something much more abstract. So, yeah, so that's how I got into it. And uh, yeah, that's that's where I am. If is, Are you asking also about the podcast itself? Okay. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. It's a great podcast. Yeah. Yeah, thank you for that. And so um, I started that in 2017, actually. And part of that was me missing doing broadcasting because I mm-hmm. did broadcasting for many years and I enjoyed it so much. And the the technology had finally advanced enough to where I could easily create a podcast without it taking be too, too time consuming because before we had 
Anchor. And before we had these really, really interesting AI editors and things like that, we had to sit down and really, truly go through and edit it, um, you know, sound by sound. And then we had to find a way to store it somewhere there. It wasn't easy. So it was, it was hard um, in the first few years, but I really picked it back up in during, during COVID as a chance to connect with people because in many schools, the design teacher is either alone or has only a very small group of people they work with. And Mm -hmm. so I wanted to connect with those folks. I wanted to bring um, the world to them because I know what it's like to be an Island to myself. And I also know what it's like to be in a big department. And so it's really important, especially during COVID, at least in the beginning, you, you and I remember even before it hit North America, it was really scary because we weren't sure what was going to happen. It was very uns- a lot of uncertainty. And so it was a chance for everyone to kind of calm down and to focus on things that were important. Um, also, uh, we focused a lot on early, on early episodes. I focused a lot on how to take your in-person classroom and put it online. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there was a lot of that going on. And so that's kind of where it started. And then I just kept getting more and more really great guests coming on and sharing their expertise in all kinds of areas. And people love that. So that's kind of where it went from there. Absolutely. And I, I said here, nodding my head in agreement, because <laughs> being the music teacher, it is often <laughs> the only person in the school. And luckily here at Chadwick, we do have several music teachers that you can share ideas with. So I agree with you. And that's why I started Twitter almost Mm. a decade ago was because to collaborate with other people and to get new ideas and to share and go back Mm. and forth. And so again, big shout out to Jason Reagan for pushing me to start this podcast. <laughs> it's been a year in the making and I'm very excited about it. Thank uh, you. You're going to be great, Al- Levi. I know it's <laughs> Thank you. So Jason, we always talk about the inquiry cycle. We talk yep. about the creative cycle. You do a lot of talking about the design cycle. Can you yep. tell us the similarities and differences between those? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. Thanks, Levi. So when we think about the inquiry cycle, it's often, you know, there's a there's a part of discovering information, discovering things. Then there's a chance to sort of act. And then there's a chance to reflect. There's this mm-hmm. idea that you're, you know, taking an idea, you start to action, you know, you have some action and then you then you reflect and then you change anything for the future and whatnot. The design cycle in the MYP, which then also kind of filters up to the DP, the DP design cycle is slightly different, but it follows a similar pattern. So you, same thing, you act, but you don't act until the third step. So you have a lot of research in the beginning, and then you have a, t- a time to plan and design. And you think about, hmm, what can I do with this information? How can I eliminate a lot of the things I know will not work? And then how do I take some risks? And so so we, we start with sort of this inquiry and analyzing of information. Uh, we At that point, we talk to our target audience. So in many cases, we're solving a problem. Mm-hmm. And so we talk to our, start, our, our target audience, and then we move over to more of a design and plan kind of thing. And then after that's when we give it a go and we actually try to make something, whether it's a system or a physical product or a prototype or whatever. And then the last step is this testing and analysis and feedback. But the idea with the design cycle is that those steps are not linear. You should be able to do them in any order that you feel like mm-hmm. you you need to. Although the steps are the ones I just mentioned are the way our criteria work. They're A, B, C, D. But um, you can start with D. You can start with feedback from your last project. 
you know, and then mm-hmm. going into the next step. So we can abbreviate the process, but that's sort of the cycle. There's something that's markedly missing from the design cycle, which I know design teachers will often make light of. And because in the design thinking protocol, um, there's another step called empathy. And Mm -hmm. that is where you're looking at the empathy for your user, for the planet and those things. And so many teachers have kind of added that in, even though it's not an official part of the design cycle, they've, they've found a way to embed it into all that they're doing. And so I would say that's as we review the design for MYP moving forward, which will happen soon, um, the big push would be to add that empathetic step um, or the em- some, something to do with empathy because that's going to be what solves problems in the future is being able to empathize and understand. Absolutely. And again, I'm here set nodding my head because when you came into my classroom a few weeks ago and you saw our creating cycle and you're like, mm. huh, look at all the similarities <laughs> going around here because the students weren't so much doing exploring, creating, planning they would explore, they'd move all the way to plan, then they would go Mm. to create, they'd get some Mm. feedback, then they would share. Mm. And so the Mm. idea that inquiry is not so linear, but more of a complex web that you can really Mm. jump around in is really Mm. exciting because it does keep the kids engaged and it keeps the kids actively learning instead of passively Mm. learning, just setting and listening. Mm. So that is something that I really am excited to hear. So With that, I can imagine that's probably pretty hard with middle school students, high school students. What are some challenges that you've noticed Mm -hmm. with your students, getting them to look at that holistic Mm -hmm. planning and not step one, step two, step three? Yeah, great question, Levi. Thank you. I I would say first that this is not only a middle school, high school problem. This is a human nature problem. And that is everyone to jump right into making uh, immediately. They think that they all know and they might. They might, but nothing was ever really created. But I mean, if I'd never baked a cake before and I just started throwing stuff into a bowl and, and then threw it in the oven, yeah. it's it's highly unlikely it comes becomes out edible. You know, I mean, like it's absolutely it's, so I have to use that analogy a lot. Right. And so I think I also show the students up front. A, there are these great websites about bad design. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we we look at that and we look at how ridiculous certain things are where they weren't thought out. Um, and so, and in fact, in the, the diploma program design tech course, there's a whole topic about classic and bad design. Um, so it, it is something that we can actually draw upon. Mm-hmm. And so I think that the biggest challenge for me is to kind of pull back on the reins a little bit with the students to say, I know you have a lot of ideas, but we we need to follow this particular process until you're more comfortable with it. Because what can happen is it might seem they're jumping into making, but in their head or on paper, they've actually gone ahead and done the other bits of that without you knowing. And so mm-hmm. the older the students get. So the challenge for me is in the beginning to have buy-in from my students on why it's important to slow down and do the, the legwork first. So I, I think they do that in all their subjects, but that would be the number one thing. I mean, I'm sure if you've handed a kid a recorder, he oh. doesn't open up the manual and try to figure out how to play it. For he just sticks his mouth right. Yep. He starts absolutely sounds makes a lovely, lovely sound. And so I think <laughs> I think that's the biggest challenge for me is to slow people down and to say, okay, listen here, folks, this this needs to be done in this way for this reason. And yeah. the older you get, of course, you can use the tools in your toolbox, but let's work together. Let's, let's figure out why. And they always, they always end up knowing, oh, now I see why, because 
that wouldn't have worked. You know, Mm -hmm. it wouldn't have worked as good. So that's been our biggest challenge is to slow kids down. Absolutely. And going back to the little recorder bit, I connect 100% having taught recorder. And the first thing kids want to do is blow as hard as possible because they think that's what you need to do. And recorder is one of the least airy instruments that you really need much air for. And the softer the air that you put in is going to get a better sound, but nobody knows that because they just want to start playing because the excitement is there. And I found in my very first year, I was like, no, that's not how we do it. That's not how we do it to really let them try. And they're like, Oh, (laughs) that doesn't sound good. Why doesn't sound good? Oh, sure. And we come up with a list of reasons and Mm -hmm. solving, and then it just brings everybody into the planning process. And I just think it really does help. In fact, everybody take ownership of that learning. So mm-hmm. that's just really, that mm-hmm. is just some really great teaching. That's what in inquiry opinion. is all about, Levi. Exactly. Being able to figure out what doesn't work. <laughs> exactly. And also solving problems together, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So with all this stuff going on, your podcast, mm-hmm. your teaching, mm-hmm. all of the fun things that you're doing, what are you excited about at the moment? Are you having anything that we need yeah. to be knowing about? Is there anything oh, down sure. the track? <laughs> Well, you know what, Levi, I think probably professionally, one of the most exciting things is I do more than just teach design. I, I'm the IB career related program coordinator at our school. We're the only school in our country to have that program. Um, so we we have four IB programs in our school. And so I'm excited about the things that are happening there. Uh, we've grown very, very quickly in a short amount of time, even during a, a pandemic. So I've just been really happy to see the growth in that. So I'm excited about that. I'm also excited about the things that are happening in education uh, because as we emerge to uh, back to people going to the classroom and being Mm -hmm. in person and things, there's a lot of good practice that has been enhanced by being off campus, right? And so I think Mm -hmm. I'm probably excited to see um, how schools will take ed tech tools and incorporate those into their daily operations uh, mm-hmm. Because I know people who were flipped classroom people before, and they were rock stars during during the hybrid or during the online learning because they already knew how to create asynchronous lessons. They already knew how to have students watch a video, respond, do this or do that. So I, I, I'm hoping more and more people will um, take advantage of that expertise. So those are the things I'm, I'm excited about. Um, yeah. That would probably be the main thing is just my own, you know, my own role and then and, and how how school is changing, hopefully for the better. Absolutely. And what a great time to be changing, right? When all of this is happening and it's mm-hmm. very turmoil and it's very volatile. Mm-hmm. But what are some things that are really working well mm-hmm. right now? And there are some and being on Twitter like you and I, there are some yep. incredible things that people are doing. There really are. And I would love to see when we do go back to -to face-to-face full-time, how do we not just leave those in the dust, but keep those those tools, like you were mentioning about being in a toolbox Mm -hmm. and really letting the kids explore with these new things. One of the things that I have Mm -hmm. really fallen in love with the last year is this Mm -hmm. program called FLAT. It is a music program that kids can create and listen, I can create and send it a link. So it's mm. beautiful for online learning. I, mm. I will use it for the rest of my career. Mm-hmm. I really think it's incredible. H- huge shout out. If you need a program, please go look at flat. <laughs> it's incredible. But yeah. those are some things that we do need to 
taking account of what mm. are we doing really well right now and what can we mm-hmm. keep? Mm. Uh, so I, I think there's a couple things. One, I think more than ever, schools are looking for learning management systems uh, mm-hmm. that adapt to their needs. And so having been an early user of Google Classroom, uh, it was not very impressive in the first, the early days. Mm-hmm. And it's much better now that the Google has listened to what teachers have said and they do respond. And so I would say that a learning management system, there's lots of them out there. There's new ones that are emerging every day. Um, but it's, I think now schools are seeing the, the importance of having that because mm-hmm. this is not going to be our last pandemic, Levi. I'm sorry to say we're too connected as a world that this is not the last time we're going to be in and out of, of distance learning. One, I hate to say it. There's no more snow days, right? Because yeah. now <laughs> when there's a snow day, you just go online. Yep. Before, schools didn't have the capacity, teachers didn't have the capacity, students didn't have the capacity to do that. So I do see learning, coincidentally, learning, I think, is going to be even more linear and more pervasive than it was where we had lots of stops and starts for a typhoon day or for this or for that. You could still go online and, and have class, right? Um, it has it has really revealed the need, the technological uh, class system that mm-hmm. we have in the world where, you know, there's lots of schools that uh, don't even have, I can't imagine out in these villages in certain places where they were lucky to have a building to have class in. There's mm-hmm. no way they've got distance learning happening. And so yeah. I, I I say that now we have a whole new category of philanthropy that we can <laughs> that we can access where it comes to, you know, providing materials and resources for for schools that are not ready to be online, you know? Yeah, so absolutely. I, I, I feel like I've chased a rabbit. I'm sorry, Levi, but no, um, absolutely. This is great <laughs> stuff. Cause you're right. Learning management systems is a massive undertaking and we all know programs that work better than others. And the ones that don't work so well are really tough to navigate. They, they really aren't working with us. They're just a place to put stuff. And right. we are now in the day and age that we have got to find things that work with us and help mm-hmm. support learning, identify next steps. How can we differentiate? Mm-hmm. And I really am excited to see all these learning management systems coming up. And mm-hmm. you, mm-hmm. you mentioned how about Google taking people's feedback and changing. Like yeah. right then and there, that's a massive collapse for Google because a lot of companies don't do that. They just say, this is what we're selling. Mm-hmm. And there we go. Yeah. Those companies will not survive. No, uh, they'll either no. get it now or they'll get it later. But they've got to be adaptive to the needs of the user because the users have now seen that they have power mm-hmm. um, and that they have, you know, I mean, if you want Google Classroom, you need to be under uh, if you want to be robust, you need to be under a Google workspace where you're paying a subscription to use it. So it actually is a big it's a big money maker for them, too. But also, you know, they get by making all that money, they're able to then donate that to other people who maybe don't have the resources. Mm-hmm. So I do think maybe a redistribution is happening there too. Um, but things like I'm, I, I use Google Classroom. I know that there's a lot of work on, on Microsoft Teams and other um, groups um, that, are, that are working for that. But, you know, in general, I think hopefully teachers will see like a, a really robust learning management system as a way to really truly have transparency in their teaching with their parents mm-hmm. and with their students. Because um, the one thing I have a kind of a gripe about with um, Google Classroom that's different than Seesaw, because, you know, we use Seesaw down in the primary age Mm -hmm. kids as a parent of a kid in that age group. 
Um, I get a lot of communications anytime something's going on. Teachers can send out messages, blah, blah, blah. But as a parent of a student who's also using Google Classroom, uh, the parent communication part can use a lot of work. There's just this is very low. You get a daily summary of what your kid sees and that's it. You don't get the updates on grades, the updates on this and that. So I think there's some some areas to grow in, but their philosophy is you should be talking to your your child and sitting down with them and looking at their stuff. Mm-hmm. But not everybody has the capacity to, to do that. And so, absolutely, you know, and the time, I mean, what if and it all comes down to time, kid, you know? Right. No, absolutely. Right, exactly. My father always said time is money and how much mm-hmm. is your time worth? And when it comes to kiddos, I have got all the time for the world, but at yeah. the end of the day, there's only 24 hours in the day. Yep. Absolutely, man. Awesome. Absolutely. Well, yeah. Jason, thank you so much for joining us. Jason, sure. tell the tell the listeners, where can they find you? <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Levi. So I think the best place, Levi, and I'm hoping you can put this in your show notes, is through Twitter. Um, mm-hmm. You can use my hashtag, uh, Disco Inferno. I'll send you the... Uh, <laughs> he's just getting it now. He's seen it for years and didn't realize that's what it was. <laughs> I had no idea that's what it was. <laughs> Disco Inferno. <laughs> now you'll never forget it anyway. Oh, that's um, awesome. So I think that's the best way. You can look me up on, on uh, LinkedIn. I'm there as well, or Instagram. My podcast is on every podcasting catcher that you can possibly imagine probably the largest group listened to it on apple podcast uh yeah. but anchor anchor and spotify are right behind it so uh it's out there you can search on, on google it's just design cast podcasts there's a couple of them out there but mine has the most episodes so you'll know it was me <laughs> <laughs> and jason before we say have a great day and goodbye yeah. we're asking all guests here at recess duty mm-hmm. What do you f- remember from recess growing up as a kid? <laughs> yeah, I have a strange one, Levi. Uh, my we elementary love it. school, my element, yeah, thank you. My elementary school was one of the first new elementary schools built um, when I was a student. I'm not going to say what age that was to tell how old I am, uh, but I've been teaching 24 years. So that should give you an idea. Um, but they did this weird thing where, in addition to playgrounds, they left some of the like concrete structures that they used to build the school with. So like the big, like 48 inch concrete pipe with rebar Mm -hmm. that they would use for like sewage and things. They just left them around and people, kids used them to play on. Like they, they were purposely left behind, like laying on their side or tilted up or whatever, just as a way to kind of create some new spaces. So I'll never forget that I used to go and just hang out in the the concrete pipe. (laughs) Oh, that's so cool. (laughs) So that's what I remember. I can remember to this day, just distinctly, just sitting there with some friends and um, you were protected from the sun. It was nice and cool. There was a breeze coming through um, and it was, it was fun. Yeah, it was really cool. So it was, it was strange. Uh, It was not strange at the time, but it's strange. And looking back that I don't remember any other school having something like that. Oh man, Jason, that takes loose parts playgrounds to the extreme. (laughs) It sure does. (laughs) That's amazing. Jason, thank you again for joining recess duty here. Have a wonderful day and I will see you later. Thank you, Levi. Thank you for listening to Recess Duty. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. In the meantime, please share this podcast with other educators so they can join the fun. And that is the end of our Recess Duty.